Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Andy Schonberger of Intelligent Buildings and Byron Lopez-Pineda of Kilroy Realty Corporation. We talked about Kilroy's journey towards smarter buildings, including how they started down the path to reduce cybersecurity risk, and how their work converging networks has led to all kinds of benefits for the portfolio as a whole. And throughout the conversation, Andy sprinkled in how the consultants at Intelligent Buildings have helped Kilroy and many other clients with setting the initial strategy for this journey and helping them get there along the way. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Kilroy Realty and Intelligent Buildings. All right, Byron and Andy, welcome to the show. Uh, Can we start with you, Byron? Can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, My name is Byron Lopez Pineda. I'm the Operational Technology Manager for Kilroy Realty. Under my supervision, we work on our building components and systems, everything from water detection to access controls, BMSs, elevator, and everything that helps operate the Kilroy portfolio. Cool. And can you, can you talk a little bit more about the Kilroy portfolio for those who don't know? Sure. Kilroy is a you know, developer, asset manager, uh, REIT implementer. Uh, we have assets primarily on the West Coast, everything from San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Seattle. We recently had an acquisition in Austin, so we're, for a, we're going into that market. Uh, but commercial, class A real estate, high-tech individuals and high-tech tenants within our portfolio, about 15 million square feet currently, and there's a couple million more under development. Cool. So developer and occupier? Developer, occupier, you know, landlord. So a little bit of everything. Most of our stuff, you know, we like to do ground up construction and then we do acquisitions here and there, but we maintain all of our sites directly. Okay. And how many sites? It's about a hundred buildings. So depending on who you ask, you know, a complex can be a, a building of eight individual locations or uh, measures, but individual sites about hundred, 120. And I saw when I was stalking you on LinkedIn, I saw you're a founding member of CSE. What's CSE? Uh, so it's a Cybersecurity Control Systems Association International. So the primary focus is to look at cybersecurity as it focuses on cybersecurity controls and control systems in general, right? So how do we look at threats and vectors of attacks? And how do we make sure that the environment that we're putting into our buildings are better addressed? You know, how do we look at our BMS controllers? How do we look at elevators? Anything that operates and controls the building, layer some security around that, right? Most of the time, people forgot that, you know, these components had an internet connection or were able to be logged onto and control your building. So you have to make sure that you have some uh, securities around that. So we try to push forward the idea of cybersecurity controls. Cool. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about cybersecurity in a minute, and we'll put the link to that organization in the in the show notes for anyone that wants to awesome. dive deeper. All right, Andy, welcome to you. Can you introduce yourself now? Yeah, thanks, James. First time caller, long time listener. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Um, Andy Schomberg, I'm a VP of Client Services at Intelligent Buildings. My job is really chief storyteller. I, I really take lessons learned from our clients, share them, I'd say anonymously with other clients and really help them try and figure out how um, to advance their smart building uh, program and, and with one of our lines of service. So 
We do advisory services, site assessments, and, and managed services. And, and really, Intelligent Buildings is really the only company focused on those services at scale and nothing else. So we're not an IT company that's Johnny-come-lately into the real estate space. You know, we're, we're not a, an engineering firm that has, you know, expanded into the analytics space, if you will. So this is the only thing we've been doing for 17 years in commercial, corporate, you know, institutional real estate for clients like Kilroy, as an example. And my day-to-day -day job involves trying to map out our clients' needs and map it to some really smart folks on the back side of our operations who enable all these services. So I get to have a lot of fun and a lot of other smart people do all the real work, I'd say. <laughs> all right. Well, very cool. Well, we got to give a shout out to Eric Larson, who's on your team that kind of set this up. He's a member of the Nexus community. So shout out to Eric. Thanks for getting us started here. And Andy, while I was stalking you, I, I saw you were a board member of, of a Green Building Council chapter, which is something we share in common. So you were in nice. Toronto. Yep. Around the same time I was doing that same thing in St. Louis. So that's uh, that's fun work is in, like engaging the, the local community around, you know, the idea of, of greener buildings. How, how is that experience for you? It's, it's great. Still really engaged with, with the, that community of stakeholders and that whole ecosystem here um, in, in the Toronto market. I'm a green building dork by trade, I would say. So energy manager um, really used the idea of getting into clean tech and green buildings to get me out of my former life, which was in steel production, which was dirtier, let's say. And yeah, I, I really loved the passion of, of that community. And, and it led me into the smart building space because so many of the technologies that I was having fun deploying required networks, required more security. And, you know, I wound up learning the hard way how to break, or sorry, how to fix building systems based on wanting to write new code myself or not wanting to call my peers in IT for help to connect a new meter and then taking down a subnet and doing things absolutely the wrong way. So there was an organic journey coming from the, the green building world, I would say, into the smart building world. But you can see there's quite a few ties in the two of them. Yeah. And that matches my experience as well. Breaking stuff and then hitting roadblocks and wondering why are those roadblocks there? And then going down the rabbit hole to where we are yeah. today. Cool. That's fun. I think there are a lot of people that kind of share that, that background, wanting to enable something and realizing why it's not working. And then, yeah, figuring out you need the infrastructure to support that, which is a great segue into our, <laughs> our conversation today. Um, Oh, cool. I want to hear from both of you on sort of your work together in the Kilroy portfolio. Who wants to start on the kind of the origin story of you guys working together? Um, I guess I'll take that, Andy, because I mean, we were the, the customer at that point, right? Yeah. So it, back then, you know, there was a bunch of hoopla about target hack and people getting hacked and infrastructure and information. So we really saw it as a brand, you know, what do we need to do in order not to be targeted or not to be hacked, right? So we looked at, you know, IB Intelligent Buildings as the leader in the market to figure out where are we lacking? You know, we know our infrastructure is great. We have a great corporate IT team who has had this infrastructure in place for 20 years on the corporate side, but the building was really lacking, right? Most of the time, engineering facilities management ran the sites, they leveraged their vendors and they were doing a great job, but, you know, security wasn't at the front end, right? They always thought about, you know, efficiency. How do we make sure that people are getting what they need, that the building's operating 24 seven and being able to access the site whenever they need it. So that meant, you know, building a DSL line from AT&T, whoever connecting it to the BMS system or the lighting controls or the elevators and just saying, okay, cool. 
that's what we needed to do. And we really weren't quite sure what we had. Uh, so we went out and, and we found intelligent buildings to help do an assessment. What was our state, right? Where were we compared to the rest of the industry? And we found out that we were probably at the same level as most of our peers, which was very early stages at that point. Most people hadn't thought about buildings and the cybersecurity threats that they had. They knew that they had something, but they weren't quite sure what that was. And intelligent buildings helped us kind of identify those points so that we can go back in there, establish a policy of a converged network, establish a policy of how do we work with our vendors, and then build that foundation from there. So it was the initial steps of you know what we call now our operational technology team, part of the IT department. It was a role that was created. My role was created as part of that assessment. And then we've let that internally to grow, make that part of our Kilroy standard, part of our new developments, our sustained portfolio, and then making sure that goes forward. So the seeds were initially, wow, those people got hacked. Let's make sure we don't get hacked. And then how do we make sure that we stop that from happening and what our risk appetite was? So, so it sounds like the initial impetus was cybersecurity and then the IB team kind of zoomed out and looked at things kind of holistically. Is that how it worked, Andy? Yeah, that, Byron's right. It really was, hey, let's, let's look at a building and see how bad this is. Um, and that's a pretty common starting point for our clients is okay. I, I, I they, nowadays they may have actually had a breach, but that's a, a lot more common and that becomes a driver to, okay, how bad is this really and what can we do about it? But it almost always with our clients starts with, let's do a, a deep dive assessment. Let's get someone who really knows the building systems and the vendor ecosystem and can go through and connect to these systems and see what they're connected to. What are they talking to? How are they configured? How are they being used? And scare some people in the organization a little bit with what could happen, you know, because some yeah. people still to this day think, oh, it's if they change the thermostat, so what? You know, there's still a bit of that ostrich, you know, head in the sand, if you will. So, you know, that first assessment is really a catalyst to building out a program for, for many of our clients that becomes, okay, let's look at a sample of the portfolio now, because maybe we differ by region or by investment partner or by asset class or by, or keep going. And then usually what happens is, is where we went with with Byron team is to doing some planning and policy. Like, how is this going to work as a program? What are we going to tell vendors that they must do, they shall do? What are we going to build for a, a playbook for us internally? So, you know, what is Byron's job set compared to what is the, an outsourced IT provider mm -hmm. or, you, or an OT vendor provider? And what are we going to build into contract language on services, you know, for risk reduction? What are we going to require from an insurance perspective from our vendors? You know, all these things change as a result of having your eyes open from a couple of these assessments typically. And so that's where we went with, with, with Byron and team and, and with a lot of our clients too, is building out that, how do we now manage this now that we're aware of these risks? The mm -hmm. so what is, is those mm -hmm. next steps typically. And the procedures, if I may add, I think yeah. as technologists, as IT individuals, we have an idea of how a network should be ran, right? We know that we should be doing scanning and policies, but that may not work for a facility, right? You're you run a scan of all your endpoints, you might break something or you might lock up a network and you know, IT devices and IoT devices are different. They might both have IT, but that little O in the yeah. middle makes things sometimes very difficult. So you have to figure out that you know, the policies from the IT side might not apply to the building and how do we then go ahead with that? How do we tweak our policies? How do we make sure that they are adjusted to meet the goals and ends of the, of the property? So it's a dedicated operational technology specific team that sits inside of the IT team at the corporate. Exactly. Correct. So what we do is we work with 
all of our, our teams, right? Everything from facilities management to property management to cybersecurity, physical security, construction. So we basically provide the IT OT services for all the different teams within the organization. So if they, you know, if construction is looking to put up a new site together, we help with the design, the cabling, the you know allocation of resources, what vendors should we be looking at, what should we deploy. If it's physical security, they might want a camera that does this, that, and the other, right? But we might know that, you know, there's certain vendors who meet the standards, meet the policies, have that infrastructure in place. So we'll be able to work with all of them, review their proposals. If let's say a BMS vendor comes back and says, you need a, a server, okay. The facility guys, they're, they're wrenches, they're very smart guys, right? They can execute and operate a building 100% 24 hours, but they're not IT guys. They can't tell you if that's a correct operating system for a server, what the IP addresses should be, they need a resources. And that's where we come in and say, look, we will be that resource for you internally. If you need anything, let us know and we will help you navigate the crazy world of IoT and OT and IT converging together. Cool. So let's zoom in on a, a piece of the sort of roadmap that you guys put together back then, which is the network convergence, right? Can mm-hmm. you talk about what, what that entailed and what the goal was there? Sure. And for us, it was people hear convergence and sometimes there's two approaches to it, right? There's the convergence with your corporate network, right? Your file shares, your servers, your day-to-day operations and converging that with your facilities. We did not want to do that. We wanted to make sure that we kept those air gapped, right? Our, our IT team has put together an infrastructure over 20 years that's amazing, right? So we didn't want to affect them. What we did is we converged to the building, right? BMS, lighting controls, access controls, water detection, all those dispersed networks within the building and converged them into one, right? In the past, you would see that there was, you know, four DSL lines because you had four different systems. Why is that needed, right? Why don't we just consolidate to one network, make sure that that's managed accurately through you know, a firewall, through managed switches and converge those devices into one. So what we did is we essentially created a secondary corporate network for the building itself that was converged. So now we have multiple VLANs, multiple subnets, right? You have different firewalls controlling access. You have the removal of those third-party you know, team viewer and log me in solutions and converge that so that we manage the the connection. We have an active directory. We have a domain controller specifically just for that network, where in the past it was just willy-nilly whoever came in. So we converged the building network itself into one, and then we can scale that up with an SD-WAN in pieces. Okay. This might sound like a stupid question, but it just came up to today on LinkedIn. Well, I brought it up on LinkedIn because it was something related to an article that someone wrote. But why did you decide to do it that way. And the reason I ask that is because there's a subset of the industry that says, oh, just leave it up to a contractor. They're gonna put this in for you. Why did you decide to take ownership and responsibility and have one one network? Might sound like a stupid question, but I think it needs to be explained. Well, if you historically think about it, it's been managed by third parties, right? And when you are not the one responsible for that on a day-to-day basis, right? Contractors can go from one job to another, right? But we want to be employees of Kilroy. Our team wants to make sure that we, we're proud of our buildings, right? We're proud of what we've worked on. So we feel like there's more control and, and we want to be able to manage it better. So for us, that was the only way we would really want to do it. Um, we did use vendors in the past, right? Each BMS vendor was managing their own network. We told them, look, we can take over that because we have the expertise to help you. We also wanted to be more proactive in the buildings, right? Because when something goes down, it connects 
Ethernet jack, it's IT. It doesn't matter if we manage it or not. Call IT, it's IT, get Byron or get whoever on the phone. It's their system, even though we might not even know that it was there. So this way we can have some control, not be blindsided by issues and then be able to dictate where we're going as opposed to following what the vendor says and saying, oh yeah, okay, they said this was the best practice, but you know, this way we have more control uh, and we're able to be more proud about the work that we do, right? Totally. And Andy, from a from the perspective of all your clients, I'm sure that you guys are having this conversation yeah. all the time with yeah. whatever you know subset of vendors are serving your clients. How does that conversation normally go? It it really does come down to risk and control because inevitably, you know, the tenants or if you're an owner occupier, you know, the, the users of the building, it, you know, they still are going to point fingers at whoever's you know got their fingers on the technology, and and doesn't matter if a vendor was controlling it or not. You know, it's somebody inside the company who owns the the system. At the end of the day, is going to have to fix it. So that there's certainly an appetite for that risk reduction of of some investment and time and effort of folks like Byron to, to get further down that road. Now, where the arguments come in, I think, is on, on what convergence means and how far do you go? And, and you know, because our, our industry has done a great job of selling the benefits of, you know, a fiber backbone and, and, and you know, copper across the floor plate or, or various, mm-hmm. you know, fiber strategies or what have you. And some people in our industry think that just means massive dollar signs all over the place. And so, you know, there can be investment criteria to go over to justify, you know, that type of investment or, Convergence can just mean control of the entry into siloed building networks. So as an example, yeah. we, you know, we have plenty of clients, existing portfolios who still just like, just like Byron and Kilroy want to get that risk reduction uh, down for people accessing the building, but they also don't want to have to throw six or plus figures at, you know, a, a building network convergence program, if you will. So, okay, we just need to control egress. Now we need to make sure that remote access is managed, for example, and we need to have a, an enforcement mechanism in place for policy for our vendors around their cybersecurity best practices and maybe a bit of a hammer, you know, in case they don't comply. And maybe there's some things that we want to take off the vendor's plate, like uh, backup of building systems, of, of managing antivirus on servers, mm-hmm. because that's not their core expertise. So we are going to act mm-hmm. as IT for OT for operations technology. So that mm-hmm. is certainly a trend that we've seen to the point where we've built a practice to support clients because, you know, they they have aspirations of doing what the Kilroy OT team here is doing, but they don't have the resources yet. So they want someone who can act as that single throat to choke to, you know, keep the vendors from running amok, if you will, or just keeping them focused on what they're really good at and providing this as a service for them. So we, we've actually, as this has evolved over the last five years, have built this up as a practice to offer that as a service because of the need in the market for it. So yeah. long way around answering your question there about just network convergence. But you know, the idea here is to help each client define exactly what it means to them without it requiring a blank check, but to get at the, the same nut that Byron and team have cracked, which is risk reduction and ownership of these systems. Yeah, we're, we're, what I was trying to you know, convey by posting this on LinkedIn was that every organization is going to have a different playbook, a different answer here, depending mm-hmm. on their staff, depending on the funding they have, depending on the existing situation. So yeah, I, I love hearing this. It sounds like you guys have figured out what, what your unique approach to it is going to be and your unique roadmap. Cause I, like, I, like you guys said, it doesn't sound like everything was exactly how you wanted it to be when you when you created the strategy so now it's about a roadmap to get there over time it sounds like correct yeah we wanted to lay the lay the foundation right we can't rip out access controls we can't rip out you know that's 
BMS replacing equipment, you can't rip that out, right? If you buy a building, you're not going to retrofit for exactly hundreds of thousands of dollars. What you can do is you can lay the foundation that controls those pieces, right? You can say, how do these devices connect to the internet? How do we uh, control people coming into the systems? How do we control connectivity? You can standardize the pieces above that, right? Because there's multiple layers to a BMS, right? There's, you know, different layers where you can place yourself in there and add controls to the systems without disturbing and without causing too much of a financial impact. And then you also reduce your attack vectors, right? If you had four different systems that were all open, now you might reduce that to one attack vector, right? Because you're everything is behind one network. So when people say, well, look, it's probably not smart for you to do that. Well, you know, do you want to have four ways that they can attack you or one way that you can manage that you can reinforce and you can bunker down on? And that gives you a much, a much better solution than, you know, before. So that was our idea. How do we hunker down? How do we reinforce the core? Right? And then how do we then grow from there? How do we make sure we establish the policies, make sure everybody's playing together and on the same infrastructure and then leverage from there? Cool. And then obviously new developments are being created with this new standard. Exactly. As- exactly. So yeah. So as part of the development project, we now work with our construction team and say, look, this is a matrix of approved security devices, right? These are the vendors that we know will provide good resources, good equipment, things that meet our standards. We can leverage in costs, right? Because many times when you look at construction, there's always a cost evaluation, right? Many times the, the su- subcontractor that gets selected might not be the best, might not be the cheapest, but there's somewhere in that cost bracket that might be towards the end, right? If you can say, look, we can get you a solution that is near the top of the charts, for a much lower price because we are now using it across the portfolio. That makes it easier for them. And they don't have to go out there and renegotiate and rethink about this. We tell you, this is the camera you should choose. This is the NPR of the server you should be selecting. Let's get it deployed and working. And you know, we'll get involved with the deployment of the copper, the deployment of the fiber. Where should we be putting IDFs? Where should we be putting our switches? What should be home running where? You know, we're talking about 900. Uh, feet of cable. Are you sure you can run that, right? Copper has a 300 foot uh, limit. So you're talking about 900 feet. Should we put something in between there that, you know, it's going to boost the signal? So those are the pieces that we're not part of. So when our team deploys a building, it's hopefully at the best standards that we've, we've produced. Totally. Tell me about like for the average existing building, you guys have a hundred, hundred buildings, average existing building. It, it started off with maybe a couple networks, probably OT couple of redundant networks, yeah. Uh, a couple of systems that maybe needed to be connected and probably weren't connected, right? Uh, tell me about how that, how a building started and then how it's going. Like, like, well, it started with Fred Gordon scaring the heck out of us, right? So he went and did an assessment. He said, look, 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 look. And we're like, wow, right? So I always credit Fred with, you know, starting this adventure for a lot of us, right? He's He's a great resource and, you know, I've, I've trusted his wisdom over the years. So that's how it first started, right? You need somebody to kind of light that fire and not necessarily for us, because we kind of had the idea, but for upper management, mm-hmm. for him to be able to go and tell somebody like, this is what I found for your building here. This is what we, because they're the ones who are going to put the money towards it, right? They're the ones who are going to say, yeah, here's the check that you need to do, go fix it. So it started with him. We did the assessments and we figured out initially, we're only going to do our BMS, our HVAC and, and cooling, right? Heating, cooling for the building. As people got aware of that, they're like, well, look, we have a lighting controller that connects to this. And then physical security said, well, we have cameras and servers. Can we tie that into that? And then water detection. So it just grew from there, right? We opened the can of worms and it just exploded. And now basically every building system, every operational technology system in the building 
goes to us, right? Or we try to go through us, right? As much as we can, there are some things where, you know, it might not be on our network or it has to be on a security network or it might require it just to be completely offline just because, you know, there's requirements. But we try to work with all of our teams to figure out what's the best approach for them to then reinforce them in the event. But it started with just, you know, let's look at what our HVAC is doing. And then from there, it exploded and, you know, taking those networks and making sure that we can connect them down. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you. A lot of times this conversation starts from an HVAC standpoint, right? Yeah. And and then it's pretty common. Yeah. I think what we're seeing today is like, there's like, as my friend Joe Gasperdoni likes to say, there's like 35 different types of systems that could potentially be connected, you know, Peloton likes to connection systems to, you know, connected coffee makers, everything, everything. It's just about you figuring out what the appetite is, right. You know, is, do you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to connect the coffee maker? Right. Is that something that's within your strategy? Maybe not. Right. But what about your lighting controls or your HVAC or your elevators? Right. Yeah. Probably those pieces you need to do. Right. So you also have to be strategic within the building and say, these are probably the core items, especially if you have a tight budget. Right. Or if you have a restriction or you want to set certain goals within a certain time frame, you have to be strategic because if you're telling people, yeah, we spent, you know, 2K on connecting the coffee maker, then maybe they're going to look at you and say, hey, maybe that budget should be going somewhere else. But if you're able to tell them, look, we have better resources, our engineers can work on our buildings from anywhere in the world. I've actually worked on our access control server sitting over Waikiki Beach, right? If you're able to then leverage those pieces for our sites and, and give that technology to our systems, then it's, it's, it makes it functional. If you're just saying let's connect everything because you know, we can, then that's a different approach. James, that's pretty common for our clients too. I mean with a lot of, you know, those that we're deploying these services for, it usually starts with what is the, you know, what is our biggest bang for the buck? Because it's inevitably, this is a bit of a change management effort too. And if you think about, a, you know, a, a REIT, you know, distributed property managers with various levels of expertise, sometimes a chief engineer on site, sometimes it's a remote person, mm-hmm. sometimes it's completely outsourced or FM is outsourced. It's just, it can be fragmented. So you have to build it as a program and kind of roll it out and, and, and keep going. But almost always the, 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 the BMS is the kind of catalyst because it's the most number of points. It's usually the one that most impacts daily operations for comfort or for energy. Mm-hmm. And so that there's usually a, let's lock this one down first. And then, you know, like, like Kilroy scale from there. And, and sometimes you have clients who, you know, they'll say security, like for example, the, the parking security and the parking management that's completely outsourced. That network is separate. It's got credit card information. Mm-hmm. Nope, not in scope. That one, we're just going to leave that for now. Don't yeah. touch it. <laughs> right. Or, or I mean, we have you know clients with large campuses where um, the physical security is handled in a security operations center, and they're already pretty battened down from from a security perspective, cybersecurity as well. Hmm. And but but they don't want anything to do with you know the the BMS or the meters or the you know the I don't know the, the demand limiting system or you know keep going. So you kind of have to look at how bespoke these buildings can be. You know, every building is a snowflake. We beat that phrase to death. And look at what, where's your biggest bang for the buck in terms of the program and scaling it out with this ecosystem we're all dealing with. Yeah, we were lucky enough that we early on built a team that included facility management, physical security, sustainability, and IT. And we said, what are our common goals? Where can we reinforce each other? Where can we work on projects that you know maybe different teams are, are spearheading where they're spending funds that are similar to each other and we can be leveraging that towards infrastructure and be able to all use it. So we got great feedback from our head of engineering, our, our VP of physical security, 
what are their needs and how can we solve them together? So that's kind of helped us. And that's a big item that I tell people to always do, right? Bring in all your, your stakeholders because you never know. They might be willing to work with you on every single project that you have, or they might not know that you have a policy going on and they're willing to jump in place, right? Our, our security officers, they're great security officers. They patrol, they keep our buildings secure, but they're not IT people, right? If you tell my, you know, our physical director, our director of physical security at one of our regions, great guy, right? He knows his stuff, but he's going to tell you that he's not a, a Windows guy. He's not a server guy. He doesn't know what that is, but he can uh, rely on us to give him that information and, and make his job a little bit easier, hopefully. Cool. As long as he's not doing what I did in my past, right? Byron, a plug in something in and taking a network segment down. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they know that now, right. They know that, yeah. <laughs> wait, if we're going to connect something, we should probably check with Byron or, or his guys and say, does this work or does it not work? Or we have a point down. Can he check the network to see if he can check the logs and see where was it connected or, you know, without us having to trace the cables all the way back. So it's, it's resourceful both ways. Cool. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor Nexus labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also love getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Well, let's talk about paying for this. So obviously taking a hundred buildings and completely changing them over to this new standard is not feasible from a capital expense standpoint, but doesn't this start to pay for itself over time once you start to get more efficient and how, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, it, it gives you the opportunity to start leveraging the technology. Like I gave you the example, right? We found that some buildings had multiple internet lines, right? And for some people, those might be small dollars, but let's say you're paying 1600 bucks a month, right? Because you have four different interlines if you reduce that to 500 bucks, right? Or uh, security aggregation, right? Security operation centers. If you start deploying security operation centers, maybe you can leverage down or reduce the amount of officers that you need out deployed and patrolling because you have a location where everything's being seen. So in the long run, it makes it more efficient. It makes it more easy for our buildings to deploy systems. And then we can also take a look at contracts and say, look, this, this vendor is charging you for a server that's going end of life by the end of this year. You're going to have to replace that right after. So you're going to have to pay him again. Let's just do it right the first time. We only pay one time and that device is going to last you for a while. So it allows us to scale up. It allows us also to replace equipment because now we have an SD-WAN. Right? So let's say a server dies somewhere and we really didn't need that server for some reason or it was just a legacy component. Now we can say, look, we don't have to replace that $40,000 piece of equipment. We can leverage the wider network area. We can then point those points towards our data center or our cloud and bypass equipment altogether. So we can now have a little bit more control and make it a little bit leaner. Cool. Andy, anything to add from the, the your client perspective there? Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously done right. There's there's cost efficiencies of, of consolidating egress points, things like that. But a lot of this is cost avoidance. This is risk reduction. This is, you know, you don't want to have to spend, we, we had a client have to spend $90,000 rebuilding a VMS because it, it got ransomed and they didn't have a, a recent backup. You know, mm -hmm. how much, you know, the, the cost of a service to maintain a, 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 you know, an incremental backup is peanuts compared to that downtime and lost productivity and, 
you know, even mechanical damage that can happen with some of those systems when they're not properly controlled. So you're trying to avoid some of those things. And, you know, with these services or with a group like Byron's helping you take care of them, then you're avoiding the possibility of those costs or, you know, the worst case of a tenant evacuation and the productivity loss there, or, you know, Byron mentioned, uh, we actually have an example from a client, exactly that happening of thousands of devices getting knocked off because of IT saying, oh no, we can do a, a, a penetration test or sorry, we can do a scan on these devices and look for abnormalities. And now they had the, the labor required to go and manually reset a thousand devices, unplug them and plug them back in basically to get them to come back online because of best of intentions. Like those things are expensive. And the more technology we put into our buildings, because we're certainly not putting less in nowadays, you know, these things are going to happen. So it's, it's, it's risk avoidance in a lot of cases. I, I, I don't like telling the doom and gloom stories because it's, you know, this shouldn't be a fear thing, but you know, real estate is the, the owners, man, uh, managers, developers are really keen to reducing risk that, you know, on that net operating income. And that's what this is, is, is a risk on that. So as long as you can build a program and think about reasonably deploying, phasing things like we just talked about, doesn't have to break the bank. You're not, you're not going to dramatically impact NOI done right. I mean, of course you can go and throw money at a problem, but if you look at this right to manage the fragmentation we've got here and look at your biggest bang for the buck, you can reduce that risk without it breaking the bank. Cool. Let's talk about the, I mean, you guys have taken the stance that is different than that article I talked about on LinkedIn, which I'll put in the show notes, which is we're going to take responsibility for our own network, right? What do you think is required from a personnel and skills and team standpoint in order for you to like really take that full responsibility? It's interesting because we just actually hired another guy to be on our team and it took us forever just because the, the okay. skill sets out there are not really on the OT side, right? And the way that I, I would present it to people is, it's IT, but non-traditional IT, right? You're still going to have networks. You're still going to have infrastructure. You're still going to have endpoints, but they're not going to be the same way that you manage a, you know, a corporate infrastructure. Very similar, but you know, if you take something down in a building, your elevators start running, right? Your your stop running, your HVAC stops running. So there's different things that we have to be more addressed. Um, one of the big successes we've had is our facility guys who are younger, the computer the computer guys, right, who grew up gaming but we're really into like the building facility sides. Mm-hmm. So those are the guys that really get, how do we network their meters in? How do we make their BMSs more accessible? How do we control the lightning systems, right? Uh, so those are the kind of roles that we wanna look at. The engineering guys who wanna either grow their careers into technology and, and technologists and facility management uh, and bringing the IT guys into the infrastructure as well, right? Because many times, they have no idea of how it's done, right? I come from a technology background. I've been doing IT for a while, but you know, I was lucky enough that early on in my career I was deploying infrastructure and deploying IDFs and in construction areas. So this kind of helped me segue into this role. But many times the IT guys are happy being stuck behind the systems and just you know, plugging away at a computer. We actually have to go into the buildings and get dirty and start taking cables around and dismantling equipment, which is exciting. Uh, so you have to find something in that balance. I know Fred has been talking about, you know, certain certifications and stuff that would be great to see. But right now, if you go into the schools and you talk to them about the building side of IT and physical security, it's not really there. People are just, you know, when I was in college, I never thought I was going to work for a real estate company. I, you know, I thought I was going to go to the big boys and play in technology and engineering. But here I am doing technology systems that are cutting edge and leading, you know, our industry. So it's 
we have to make it a little bit more sexy for people to consider getting into these roles. Because if not, they just see the build. They don't really understand. They know that an architect designed it, a civil engineer built it, a mechanical guy put in the mechanical components, but all those guys are tied in by the infrastructure and the backbone. And that's the technologies behind it. So I think that's where we need to really go and say we have to push people to go into these roles. So, James, I think we uh, should have asked Fred Gordy to be on from Intelligent Building side. <laughs> just, we we, keep, we, we keep talking to him about him like he's the godfather. <laughs> Actually, he really is the godfather of cybersecurity and, and, and building systems. But I, I, I'd, I'd follow up Byron's note there because it is certainly a challenge for this industry to tackle you know, this, this technology skill set. And there is a lot of opportunities for this. I mean, we were talking about this in the show prep, James. We're hiring because we're, you know, this skill set is in demand. So what, what we've tried to do with our services is build them so that we're the easy button for clients. If they don't have the time to build out that program and, you know, uh, upskill, we can, we can help them through that journey. You know, whether it's for a year or two years or three years until they spin up a team like, like Byron's. That's, that's the whole reason that IB exists is to fill this gap in this industry. So, but it is certainly a challenge. We've been working with some of the, the community colleges, if you will, on, on some of the programs. On, on building cybersecurity curriculum about control systems. So, you know, we have these, you know, kids coming out of college l- learning about, you know, the, the latest and greatest from Johnson or Honeywell or, or the Niagara mm-hmm. framework. And we want them to have some, be versed in cybersecurity as well. One, as a source of, you know, skill in this industry, of course, but also because then the whole industry has moved, you know, moved forward. But, you know, we're, we're certainly dealing with that challenge. You can't expect you know, an asset manager or, or your average facility manager to understand the NIST framework. It's just, that's not fair. They weren't trained that way. So we can bring them along the journey, but we can also, you know, provide the services for them in a very targeted way where, you know, you don't expect too much of them or their vendors. Cool. And yeah. when you when you kind of coach your clients on putting together that team, what do you recommend they have in place when that team's put together? So we're really building that out as a playbook. Like we do the very consulting ease things, you know, build out a racy model of who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted throughout the organization. That is very much dependent on how the organization is structured. You know, to Byron's point, we do our best to bring all those stakeholders involved. You know, the the physical security, the construction folks, the, you know, get all their drivers. I mean, we know quite a few of them, right? I mean, Byron working with construction folks, you know, they want help on technology and they don't want him to increase a schedule or add any cost. So, you know, we know the, we know the typical drivers of these folks, but we want to make sure that they're, you know, along for the journey and understanding how they can, you know, pull from this operating model. How does it affect them? Where should procurement include language in, you know, issuing an RFP, for example, of cybersecurity requirements versus what does an MEP need to know building a new building and writing a division 25 for, for Kilroy? You know, those are very different things, you know, in this organization. So you have to understand the whole life cycle of the building from how, you know, coming out of the ground right through to we're selling it, you know, mm-hmm. at some point down the road. So it's it's not a simple thing, uh, but it is a knowable thing. We've been, again, we've been working at this for 17 years. So that's what the, the godfather Fred and the team <laughs> have done is built this out so that it can be consumable as a playbook. And then you have all those folks kind of knowing how to take advantage of this and, and you, know, you, you know, do better instead of just pretending there's no problem here. Hmm. Yeah. And James, if I can add one thing again to the kind of the workforce. The other thing is to, as you're coming in, ask questions. I've seen a lot of the people who I've talked to on your podcast, they're always looking to share their ideas, share their information, their experiences. That's one of the great things about being kind of in this field, right? You have people like Andy and the team over at IB who are always willing to connect with one another, but also just 
look to the resources. Everybody always wants to share information, learn from each other. And even though we are competitors, right, we are working towards, you know, getting somebody else's lease to come over to our lease because that's the nature of the business. But we're always looking at each other's backs. We're always looking at what are you doing from a technology standpoint? Okay, this is what I'm doing. Where can we leverage each other? Or you're having difficulties with this vendor. Oh, me too. Let's work together. So being able to ask the questions, like one of the things that I tell the guy that we just hired is just ask any question. You come from an IT background, system engineering ask me any questions on the building side. If I don't know it, we'll ask our building engineers. If they don't know it, we'll reach out to somebody else. Just be willing to learn. Like I was sent to, you know, physical security conferences, right? Where I'm looking at bollards and looking at, you know, drones and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. It's part of the role, right? You're going to see these pieces, right? We've sat at locations where they're showing us new cameras and Sony's showing us how far it can go and mile long. And necessarily for me, it's not what I need, but it's, you know, something that I can have in the back of mind in case our physical security guys ask us for a solution. So be open to taking any certifications, anything that is dealing with the building and just, you know, going from there because you never know when you're going to use some of it. Cool. Yeah. The work, the workforce side of things is something that the Nexus community has been digging into a lot more. We did an event on it in July, I think, and several members have joined recently and their number one focus is on these types of workforce programs. So it's definitely a huge bottleneck for everyone. And we got to mm-hmm. do what we can to, to remove that obstacle. Well, cool. Let's talk about when the policy set up, strategy set up, long-term roadmap set up. You start to get these systems connected to the same network. What is that enabling? And, and I'm, I'm thinking of it in two buckets. One is how does it enable you to manage all your subsystems better, right? And then the second thing I'm thinking of is like what, applications, what technology does it now enable because your data is available and it's easy to integrate stuff and that type of thing? How do you think about those two categories? So, I mean, it it really enables you to look forward to new systems, right? Because you now have legacy, you're replacing legacy components that maybe were not capable of, you know, passing traffic quickly enough or you had switches were never managed and you had conflicts of data, right? Now you're putting infrastructure in place where you can go and do, you know, high visibility cameras or AR analytics in your cameras and the devices, you're able to pull data quickly from your building systems. If you have IAQ and analytics, right? Before we've had people who walk around and not just us, but the industry walk around with a little meter and looking at, you know, how particles are in there or how it's just, now you're able to leverage that for all your buildings from one location and say, oh, this is the trend for the past 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and you didn't have somebody on site. So it leverages you to be able to deploy new technology. You're able to start cutting edge systems. And a lot of our tenants are, you know, high technology companies. You have to keep up with them, right? And not just us, but in real estate in general, you have to keep up with their needs. So contactless, right? Big contactless push, you know, being able to call your elevator directly from your cell phone. People want that, you know, they don't want to touch anything. So they want to come in just using this device and not touch anything or anybody and just get to their spaces they need to. So that enables you to have those technology settings in the systems, right? Because, you know, if you're looking at 4K cameras, it doesn't matter if your cameras are 4K and your switches are, you know, very slow or, you know, things that you bought at Best Buy. You know, if you're not have gig switches, then you're not really doing much with it. So I think it enables that in terms of technology and systems. What are your thoughts on Andy? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I'd say what most of the industry knows us for is helping strategy, you know, strategize, establish what your use cases are, figure out how that maps to your systems, understand, you know, the design guidance required, you know, to get that into a project or, 
uh, site assessments. This has been our bread and butter for years. So, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time, you know, helping clients scale out fault detection diagnostics or look at the next level of integration to work orders. And, mm-hmm. you know, late, lately it's a lot of tenant applications and amenity, you know, things. So instead of just operational efficiency being more experiential, but the, the key to all this is understanding what connectivity is and isn't a good idea and, and you know, how you want that managed because, Going back into my my former life, there was plenty of clients who just said, no, we're not doing that because it sounds too risky. You know, like you'd, you'd get the the IT folks saying, no, you're not connecting to a cloud service because I don't trust how you would connect. So just flat out, no, I don't care what you, you think you're going to get in terms of an ROI. And so you'd bang your head against the wall or maybe just, maybe it was just me. But so what we want to do with, with strategies like this is de-risk that so that you can now think of those top, we've actually categorized the top 20 use cases that our clients have been consuming. And they align directly with what Byron was just saying around, around analytics, around frictionless entry into buildings, around understanding indoor environmental quality or getting into the, you know, the, the utilization data or the, you know, having the elevator management system integrated into, you know, a, a unified interface, all the things I know you cover in a lot of detail, James, and a bunch of your, you know, other podcasts. But what, what we want to do is make sure that when we come up with those strategies or talk to the leasing team about how much that would differentiate the property compared to the one across the street, that on the back end, we've done all our homework and everybody who is going to connect and maintain and operate and continue to manage the change of those systems is aware of how this is all going to work so that there's no extra risk. And not just it gets hacked, but is it going to work? What happens if the internet goes down? Where does the finger get pointed? You know, for, on, for example, on our, our, our managed services, you know, we've had a, a client call and say, hey, your remote access is, is, you know, management for us is not working. And, you know, we look at the system and we're actually, no, your internet service provider, the, the, the link has been going up and down every 30 seconds. You need to call them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're standing by ready, you know, call us for support. But look, here, here's the data. So now we can make better decisions based on all that uh, of how to keep these, you know, admittedly more complex systems up and running. We're not just, you know, opening windows anymore. Now we're Byron's logging in from Hawaii to make sure that, you know, the, the system's working properly. So mm-hmm. that, that complexity, I don't think is going anywhere. It just needs to be managed. And so that we can enable all these use cases and heck, I don't know what's coming a year from now, but we certainly want to be ready to have a secure connection to some cloud service some AI engine, some data lake from a client, some digital twin, all of the use cases you cover in extensive detail, you know, in, in your series here, we want to make sure that we can say yes, you know, about understanding how that whole life cycle is going to work uh, okay. and not have to bang our heads against the wall with a no from IT because it's just too risky. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that we reach a lot now, right? As we get requests and when you're leasing, many times you just say yes to everything, right? And then Lease it first, and then we'll figure it out later. We're lucky enough that we have the infrastructure to say, okay, you said that. Okay, we probably wouldn't have said yes right off the bat, but we can probably make it work. All right, we can probably get you to do whatever you were asking for, which then makes our tenants happy, right? Or there might be some crazy ideas that come out from a conversation that somebody saw at, you know, Dubai Expo or whatever, and maybe they have the tons of money to throw at them, but maybe we don't have that resource and we're asked to do it. And okay. We, we actually had a request to put a, a security operations center up and running in about, I think it was two months. You know, usually that would take us eight months infrastructure, but we had the infrastructure in place to say, okay, cool. We need to just spin up the VMs in the cloud, make sure that the tunnels are up and running. The infrastructure locally is ready that we can deploy that fairly quickly, but without this infrastructure, it would have taken us eight months, a year 
And now because we had that success, we're now being told, okay, we want four more of them done by, you know, the end of the year, whatever that is. So it, it allows us to be able to leverage technology and be able to tell our, our C-suites like, okay, we can, we can probably figure it out or no, we don't have the infrastructure for it. It's not there. So it gives us a little bit more leverage and more uh, usability for the buildings. Or the next step, Byron, which is, hey, I know you just connected those four buildings, but we just sold them. Can you take them off? It happens. It, it happens. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know what that is now? It's just, okay, you just know that yeah. box that sits in that empo, take that out and the building's disconnected oh. and you can just sell it to the property. <laughs> and, it, and it is that simple, right? And here's a model of everything that's in the building here, all the passwords and IP addresses. And here's a portfolio for that site. Give it to the buyer and they're up and running. So it, it, it does happen for us. Has it gotten to the point where that makes it the building more valuable at this point? Or is that not, or is that... Is that fluff at this point? I think we, we believe so. I mean, we believe so. And if you looked at what Kilroy has recently done, right, with sales and acquisitions, I think, you know, it makes it a little bit more valuable. It also does it from the tenant perspective, right? Because they might have questions as to how are you protecting us? How are you protecting to make sure that the building's, you know, being adequately secure? What are you doing for my employees to come into your site? So I think that makes it appetizing for the tenants. You know, if you're able to tell a tenant, look, we can get rid of all the physical key card waste right? Because we're moving to mobile, right? That might be a good strategy for them as well, because they might have uh, ESG policy that they're working towards, right? So now they say, oh, none of our employees carry key cards, because our landlord doesn't provide that cell mobile apps. It makes it accessible and appeasing for some, appealing for some tenants. So we hope so, right? Uh, We keep on getting projects. So I think we are, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out. (laughs) <laughs> cool. Well, you guys mentioned tenant apps. I just want to ask about that because they're so hot right now. Andy, I saw you wrote an article on tenant apps in 2015, which is hilarious to think about because it's come, come so far and become so hot at this point. But can you, can you guys talk about how you're thinking about tenant apps today? And specifically, because you guys have this air-gapped sort of front of the house corporate network. Well, actually, you, you maybe have the Kilroy corporate landlord network, right? And then you have this air-gapped OT network, and then the tenants might have their networks as well. And so I'm thinking about three different networks here, right, that the app could be connecting to, depending on what use cases you're enabling. For instance, I want to change my HVAC set point. Are you, what, what sort of use cases are you thinking about for tenant apps and which ones are sort of the most successful at this point? So we leverage that through each building is unique, right? So whatever services you might have on one side might not be needed on another. So we, li- we really like to tailor towards that building specifically, right? Depending on the needs of the building, the tenant needs, you know, there might be locations where the tenant might have a specific solution that they want to work with. And if they are a, you know, a fully occupied tenant, then we have to work with them on that, right? So we'll have to figure out that solution for them. Where we have multiple tenants, that's somewhere where we work with the building and the asset management team to see how that interaction needs to happen. Our, Leasing and marketing marketing teams are becoming really heavy as to you know what they foresee from us providing services, right? So, will OT be able to provide you an application where you order lunch and uh, do your dry cleaning? Probably not, right? Because that's probably not within our scope. But we might have something as part of our marketing team, which that will be its focus. So that's where we're trying to figure out what is specifically building operations, right? Where can you request a mobile credential to go into our property, or where can you request? you know, lunch or services that way. So those are kind of the strategies that we're looking towards. What do we make efficient and available for the building? And where does that make sense? And say, look, you have a request 
call the engineer. The engineer is on site. He has all the tools available for him to be able to make changes 24-7. And that's just a process. So it really depends on the building and, and the tenant and the space. Yeah. The yeah. reason I asked this question is because this, this technology has like the potential to make all the last silos go away at some point. But we can't act like the silos aren't there when we implement the technology, right? So I, I think people kind of gloss over that fact when they talk about this. What, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, yeah, and, and you can get the, I mean, the, the tenant employee experience platforms is actually what I would call them instead of just the, the tenant app, because it really just depends on who the, the user mix is here. But yeah. from a, a lot of the marketing I've seen, they've done a great job at, at making it seem like this is one app to rule them all you know, in the building. <laughs> But, but underneath the sheets, you know, there's a lot of API integration to, to building systems. And you have to think about how is that connected and how are you doing, you know, how are you onboarding a tenant versus, you know, just how an engineer using it. There, there are certain lines in the sand you have to draw. And, and going to the marketing of these experience, you know, platforms, there's a lot of functionality there stacking up as a menu list. Oh, yeah. Everything from, you know, visitor management to the mobile access credentials we've been talking about and concierge services and, you know, book an exercise bike and, you know, I mean, keep going on, on maybe it's the environmental controls or request fresh air or, or submit a work order, or, I mean, you can keep going. And I saw the list on, on one of our client that's, that's the amount of services is 50 long actually. And they basically just said, let us know how you want to configure them and we'll do it because we can do all of this under that umbrella. And now you're looking at that going, where do I start? Like, how do I prioritize? Because that and, and, and do they really know what they're getting in for when I tell them I have 17 building automation systems and four of them are proprietary and those vendors are not going to want to let us connect at all. So do they even understand all this? You know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity there, but I will say that as these platforms are maturing, that a lot of these are, are it's not just a custom app being developed like what I was talking about years ago, where, you know, hire an app developer and you can make whatever you want, right? Now, nowadays, there's a lot that's, it's pre-configured. Now you're just tailoring it. Right now you're changing a logo or you're changing a sequence, for example, or they're using a different API to get at a particular system or so it's, it's certainly come a long way. They are pretty powerful, but they are not that one app to rule them all in, in my opinion yet still, because, you know, it is focused so much more on the experience. And, and this is where you need somebody like, you know, with Byron's experience or ours to help you understand those connections under the hood, because, you know, you can get yeah. leasing folks, look at that feature list and go, I want it. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. when you have to run it, you know, especially in an existing building where you may not have a clean sheet of paper to specify all those integrations right up front, you may have your hands full making it, you know, viable and, and, you know, working on an ongoing basis. So I love where this is going because what it's doing is driving a lot more connections to those base building systems. And now there is more eyeballs on making sure they're configured right. And that, you know, that this is going to work long-term and that there is someone like the BOT team at, at Kilroy supporting it on an ongoing basis. So I think it's great because it's getting more eyeballs into the space, but it certainly isn't just a magic. Like if you just see, oh yeah, it connects by API. Okay, maybe, right? Yeah. There, there, there may be some more expense there that you're not quite sure of right off the bat. But man, are the platforms powerful and it's really hard not to be inspired when you pick one up and get to play with it for the first time compared to where we were five years ago, that's for sure. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about where it's headed as well because it's creating those conversations about knocking down silos that, that we wouldn't have had as early as quickly before. Well, with that, what do you, let's, let's wrap up here. What are you guys excited about heading into the end of the year, early next year? Maybe start with you, Byron. Um, I think COVID showed us a lot of things, right? So COVID actually helped the building wrap up also. 
right? Unfortunately, everything that happened, but we've actually been more busy within our buildings, retrofitting and repositioning and updating and upgrading. So the technology that's coming into the spaces for the next years is, you know, it's phenomenal, right? Some of the things that we'll be able to do with elevators and access controls and cameras and internal killer pieces, right? That we might not, you know, exposed to tenants or that might not be needed for them, right? Because another thing of the tenant experience is, you know, who needs what, right? A facility people at the tenant might need something different than your regular employee. But for us, the technology that we're able to leverage, right? We're able to push technology forward, the way that we're building our sites, the way that we're thinking about, you know, how should elevators integrate? How should an elevator know that you're walking into the lobby and select your floor automatically for you? So those kind of pieces as we're making it easier for you to live in our space and welcome you guys back and make sure that you're enjoying the Kilroy brand and, and saying, yes, we want to renew our lease or we want to lease up more spaces, just pushing that innovation. We always say that, you know, we're where innovation works and we, we truly want to mean that. And we see it with our sustainability team, our development teams and our technology teams. So really excited about where we're going and the technology approvals that we've gotten over the last couple of months to push the technology forward for our sites. Very cool. I love that answer. What about you, Andy? Yeah, what he said. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actually in a very, very similar position in that a, a lot of our clients are looking at how it is, how is technology a differentiator? Maybe it is in that new build, you know, trying to you know, add in digital amenities because there's an expectation of it, or, or maybe it is around risk reduction because of a particular event. There, there's certainly some critical mass to this market right now, as I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, and, and you're, you're actually a good poster child for it with the diversity of your, you know, your, your speakers. But we really just want to help our clients go through the same journey. We've got um, some hard lessons learned over the years of, of ways to do things and ways not to do things. And, and going back to my role of telling the stories, that's really what our team does is help, you know, help shortcut our clients onto the path that, you know, clients like Kilroy have done. How do you learn these, these lessons? How do you take, you know, a bite of the elephant one at a time? Maybe it's attending a you know a boot camp or or one of your classes to get started or diving into a particular use case and figuring out how you enable it. But it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, the, the we've definitely see some critical mass here. I mean, our a lot of our clients are going through that same journey, if you will, from let's dip our toes in the water and just do one assessment or maybe five or a representative sample of the portfolio and then build this into something that's going to live and breathe because we know, you know, the the Pandora's box is open here. We can't unsee what's happened. We can't not pretend we don't know about this breach or this ransomware or, you know, the risk of this new technology. So pretty exciting times for, for our team. So we're just trying to keep up with our clients demand to, to keep rolling with this. So great, great challenge. Love the fact that, you know, we have clients pressing us and, you know, Kilroy included, I won't, I won't give away any Byron and Kilroy's secret sauce here on, you know, their strategies and their, their prioritization, but I think everybody in this market is kind of tackling it a little bit different. So that's what we're, our job is to, to meet them where they are and really help them build out that program, whether it's around, you know, a smart building strategy or very particular managed service on a cybersecurity risk reduction effort. So fun to be in this space right now. I think we'd all agree. Yeah. 100%. Well, thanks to you both for, for coming on the show. It's fun to do a little dual interview. So <laughs> thanks so much. Cool. Thank Just you for having us. us. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.